inspiration. Turn up the motivation. You're on the Ziggler Inspire Podcast. Zig Ziggler wants you to be your best. Welcome to Zig Ziggler's Inspire Podcast. This is your host, Blake Lindsay. Today, Zig is telling a story about his wife, whom he calls the redhead, found a house she loved and how she sold Zig the house. He helps us understand how to use those sales principles in our own situations. Let's turn it up and listen to Zig. I'll be back in a few minutes. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The third lesson is that the redhead never became defensive. She never became argumentative. She was never antagonistic. Instead, she was lovingly and enthusiastically optimistic from the word go that she was going to make the sale. There's something else, too. She was confident in me, and in a way it was quite complimentary that she was confident that I could go out and make more sales or get more speaking engagements, and so consequently I could handle the bigger payment. So really, I took it as that after she had carefully explained it to me. Fourth lesson, she asked lots of questions, which led me to the decision. Now, one point which many people seem to miss is the fact that every professional, whether they are accountants or tax consultants or doctors or lawyers, ask an awful lot of questions. It's called the Socratic method of leading people to decisions. One of the most frustrating things that we as salespeople ever encounter is when we have gotten so close to a sale and we know we should have made the sale. We have convinced them that it's fairly priced. We've convinced them of its quality. We've convinced them it can perform. We have convinced them of everything. We've convinced them, but we still leave without a sale. There's a difference between convincing and persuading. Many years ago, Aristotle taught at the University of Pisa that if you were to take two different weights made of the same material, that they would fall at a different rate of speed. Now, obviously, this was wrong, but he was Aristotle the Great, and so that's what they taught. Then years later, a young whippersnapper named Galileo came along, and he said, hey, that's not right. If you drop those two different weights, they'll fall at exactly the same speed if they're made of the same material. 
Well, the other students and professors challenged Galileo to prove his contention. Well, Galileo went to the top of the Leaning Tower of Pisa. He dropped the two different weights made of the same material, and they obviously fell at exactly the same rate of speed. Now, he had proved beyond any reasonable doubt that he was right and that Aristotle was wrong. Now, he had uh, convinced them that he was right, but he had not persuaded them. And so guess what they kept doing at the University of Pisa? That's right. They kept teaching the same thing that Aristotle had taught. Now, the question is, how do you persuade people? And the answer is, you don't persuade them by telling, you persuade them by asking. And that's what this really is all about. How do you ask people in order to persuade them? Now, the fifth lesson that I want to uh, bring out on this particular thing is she understood what her mission was. Exactly she knew what it was. It was to make an $18,000 sale. Now, my listening friends, let me encourage you now, be all ears in case you've uh, drifted even for a minute now. Become all ears, please, because she made an $18,000 sale. She knew that was her objective. You might say, well, surely the house costs more than that. It costs a lot more than that. But she had the objective of an $18,000 sale because before she had ever left the room, she and I had discussed it. She had already made the initial sale with a full amount. She had already sold me on the other $20,000. Now, why should she try to make that sale again? It's all set. She had to make an $18,000 sale. Now, that's psychologically very important because, you see, an $18,000 sale in the mind of the salesperson is considerably easier to make than uh, one that's 10 times that big or 5 times that big or whatever. See, if you're in real estate and your prospect comes in and says, look, $150,000 is all we could possibly invest. That's it, not another dime. And here's what we need. And they describe their needs. And you know exactly where they can fill that needs. You got a specific house in mind. You just listed it yesterday. And so you take your prospect out to see it. The only problem is that the owner has said to you under no circumstances will they take a dime less than $180,000 for it. Now all you've got to do is make a $30,000 sale. They bought $150,000. You had nothing whatever to do with it other than meeting or matching their needs and their desires with their pocketbook. Now you've got a $30,000 sale to make. And psychologically, in your own mind, it is easier to make the $30,000 sale than the $180,000 sale. If you're in the automobile business and somebody comes in looking at a new car they want to swap, but the most their payments can possibly be would be $250 a month. Here's what they want. The problem is that when you figure it out, the payments come to $275 a month. All you've got to do is make a $25 a month sale. It is easier to do that than it is the full amount. Understand your objective and understand it very, very clearly. And you do that again by breaking it down. You make it easy to buy. The sixth lesson I want to bring out is the prospect was well known by the salesperson in this case. I was a prospect, the redhead was a salesperson. Now, obviously, you cannot learn as much about every prospect you deal with as she knew about me. The point is still the same. You need to learn as much as you can about your prospects before you see them, particularly if you are selling something of significance as far as price and values are concerned. Now, for example, the redhead, if you recall, I mentioned the fact that I'd, she had pointed out where the swimming pool was going to be. Well, she well remembered that when I'd been a boy over in Yazoo City, Mississippi, that one hot August day, a buddy of mine invited me to go swimming with him. Now, in Yazoo City, the only swimming pool was at the country club. We obviously did not belong to the country club. 
invited me to ride my bicycle out there and meet him at 2 o'clock or whenever and we'd go swimming. I rode my bicycle out there, had my bathing suit on, man, I was ready. My buddy didn't show. Hot August day, nice big swimming pool, cool water, small boy, you know the results of that. In I go, even though my buddy wasn't there. Three minutes later, one of the members of the club, walking close by, playing golf, saw me. He traded at the store where I worked. He knew I wasn't a member of that country club. He threw me out of the pool and invited me to come to his office the next afternoon to talk about this dastardly deed which I had just committed. I've got to confess to you that I was as scared as I've ever been in my life when I went down to see that man. I literally thought I was going to be put in jail for trespassing. Well, the man I thought was unusually hard on me. I left there in tears that day. But as a child will on occasion do, I believe I was about 12 years old, I stomped my feet and I said, one of these days I'm going to build me a bigger swimming pool than that thing they got out there. Now it was a statement made by a small, angry child who was hurt. And, you know, I promptly fairly well forgot about it until I started achieving some success in the world of selling. And then when I started doing that and then got into what I'm doing now, the dream was reborn. And so the redhead knew about the fact that I wanted that swimming pool. And so she pointed out exactly where it would go. And I'm here to tell you that in 1969, in the backyard of the Ziegler home in Dallas, Texas, we built an arrow-shaped swimming pool, which is exactly one foot longer than that original pool was at the country club in Yazoo City, Mississippi. You see, those dreams still live. But the basic problem and the basic point I really am pointing out is find out what your prospects' needs and desires and dreams are and is you've got a much better chance of making a sale because you can get everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. Lesson number seven in this story is simply this. When we left Columbia, South Carolina and moved to Dallas, I said to the redhead, sweetheart, there are three things which I want in a house. Now, you can do everything else, but there are three things I want. First of all, I want a swimming pool. Second, I want a circle drive for convenience sake. And third, I want a small office in that house so I can do my writing. Now, the house we bought in Dallas, Texas had a lot of things. But there were three things that house did not have. Now, is there anybody here in this live audience today who can guess as to the three things that house did not have? That's exactly right. <laughs> no swimming pool, no office, no circle drive. But that was not a problem. And here is a point that you want to burn into your mind wherever you go, whatever you sell. A lot of people don't know what to want because they don't know what's available. Have you ever gone in a store looking for a pink dress and walked out with a gray suit? Have you ever walked in a shoe shop looking for a pair of slides and left with a pair of pumps? Did you ever go in looking uh, for a navy blue suit and left with a brown suede sport coat? Have you ever, in other words, went in looking for one thing and bought something else? I think everybody here has done exactly that. 
Now, what happened in, uh, in this particular case is very simple. The redhead pointed out to me by measurement exactly where that swimming pool was going to go. She pointed out exactly where the office was going to go, and she pointed out exactly where the circle drive was going to go, but she just took it one step further. She said, honey, isn't it nice that we're going to be able to design our own instead of having to depend on some architect or builder who didn't really know what we wanted? Isn't that great? You see, she took what appeared to be a lemon and made it into a lemonade with a little creative imagination there. And I believe you'll agree that is a significant point we need to understand. Now, at this particular point, ladies and gentlemen, I have been talking 22 minutes. And in 22 minutes, we have literally covered five different closes and seven points. I'm going to suggest now that you shut your recorder off. And I want you to now get your pen and paper out and write down how many of the closes that you can recall and how many of the points that you can recall. And if you can't write them all down, may I be so bold as to suggest you should listen to this again and then again and again and again? You see, we've only dealt really with the first chapter in the book, and it has many chapters, as you've already seen, about what we're talking about. See, sales training is not something that you can listen to one time and quote, I am now a salesperson person. It is something which you have to hear again, and then more importantly, you're going to have to work and practice and drill and rehearse. So get your book out and read all of these things. I'll remind you over and over that you need to read and listen and translate. Throughout the series, I'm going to keep the burr under your saddle to encourage you to work. I'll never tell you it's easy to become a professional salesperson because it is not easy to become a professional salesperson. I want to mention that we had a Ziegler Inspire podcast back on August 5th, 2011 that gives you the first set of the sales principles. Again, like Zig, I want to encourage you to listen to these podcasts more than once. There is so much good, helpful information in them that we will need to hear them over and over to incorporate that information in our life. Until next week, this is Blake Lindsay encouraging you to live your life to the fullest. Ziggler. 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 Inspiring true performance.